Amen. Well, Father, that is true. Uh, God, what beautiful truth we have just sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, the love that compelled you to send your son, that gives us the ability to love because you first loved us. Father, and now your greatest commandment, the call to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh God, may that picture be uh, saturating this church, our hearts and how we worship you and how we serve you and how we love you and love one another. God, as the family of God in this place, God, I pray that there would be a refreshing of the truth of amazing grace in our hearts and minds today. Father, I pray that we would leave at the cross those um, struggles we are facing, the sinful patterns in our lives. Today would be a day of freedom because of amazing grace. I ask for this, God. Only you can do this. And so be with my mouth now. Guard the words that are said. May they be from your Holy Spirit. Speak through me, O God, and carry me by your Holy Spirit. And may Jesus Christ be exalted in a saving and sanctifying work in his house today. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. Well, church, what a blessing it is to be back with you today. I I do have to say at the same time, it has been a much needed and incredibly fruitful two weeks for my family and I. Uh, we feel very refreshed coming back. And I said to uh, some of the leaders this morning, uh, I said it was like, come about Wednesday, I was like one of those horses at the gate ready to go on the track. I couldn't wait to get back to be with our church family and to continue on in this series of First John that we have been going through over the last number of months since September. And today, uh, there's a, probably, a, I just love God's timing on these things. The message title for today is Living a Life of Victory. And what an amazing start to the new year that this message is. Living a Life of Victory from 1 John 5, 1 to 5. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, please put up your hand. Our ushers are coming up right now. They want to put one in front of you. All right, you're going to want to follow along with what God has to teach us through his word this morning. And if you do not have a Bible at home, We want to give that to you as a free gift to say thank you for worshiping with us and so you can continue to meet with the Lord in your personal devotions. Well, here it is in the final chapter of John. Final chapter of 1 John. And John finishes his letter to the church in Asia Minor. And what's the focus? Like if you're going to say one more thing to people, you had one thing left to say. Would you say something just flippantly? Something not important? Would you say something that didn't really matter or just kind of shoot the breeze? I don't know about you, but I want to say the most important thing that I could to them. I didn't know when I was going to see them again. It was going to be the last time I was going to see them. And so here we see John's intention with this, right? And his focus here is on assuring the true believers in the church of the victorious life that every follower of Jesus Christ has. All right, assuring them of the victorious life that every follower of Christ has. And all he's been writing, you have to understand, loved ones, all he's been writing up until this point, the first 80% of this book, chapters one to four, has been moving us towards this moment right here. What's this all building towards? And here it is, the climax of the chapter, climax of the book, rather, chapter five. So before we, before we jump into that, I have a question for you because we got to get on the same page with some, some of these things. What does it mean to live a victorious life? I mean, you hear, you hear that all the time. I mean, Nike, the symbol of Nike, 
Victory, victory. That's what we see. Well, that's, we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit. The word for victory is a Greek word, nike. That's where they got it from. All right? And so, so think about this. What does it mean to live in victory? You have any idea? We talk about it a lot. We hear about it a lot. I mean, what does that even look like? What does it mean to overcome? What does it mean to overcome the world? Are these just fancy slogans that Christians are supposed to have feel-good emotions about and throw out? Or do they actually have some very substantial life-changing impact that we are to live by? Well, after studying this, uh, it came to the realization there's an increasingly prevalent lie in the world today. That living a victorious life or conquering the world is obtained through, you'll see some of these things on here, is obtained through your finances. Finances. Okay? You, you, you want to live in victory? Get more money. Rockefeller was asked a question from New York. He said, how much money is enough? And he said, a little bit more. A little more victorious, a little more overcoming. You want to you live a victorious life? Get some more money. You want to conquer the world? Here's another one. Uh, get your career in order. Get to the top rung. Then you've conquered it. The self-made man or woman, getting to the top rung, conquered it. Is that what it means? Live a victorious life? Think about it. Think about it. Uh, what happens when you get sick? You can't work anymore. Mm. What happened to that? Still walking in victory? How about this? How about this? Uh, uh, you want to live in victory? Um, how about your social status? Get lots of friends. A lot of selfies. Become a glory junkie. There you go. All right? get, get a social status. Now even take this further, and our, our culture has twisted this perception of marriage and say, you know what, you want to you live in victory? Then you need a spouse. Well, well let's just go to 1 Corinthians 7 where, talks about, where Paul talks about singleness being a gift. And what happens if you don't get that? You live discontent. Okay, well, you want to live in victory? What about this? Possessions. Okay, if you just get the house, you get the pool, you get the car, you get all best, best life now stuff, there it is. Possessions. If you just have the stuff, then you're conquering the world. There's always a bigger house letting you know. There's always someone with more money. Okay, how about this? Students, I love you. Been praying for you over these last two weeks. Been thinking of you on this. Ready? How about this? Study hard. Get a high GPA. Be victorious. Conquer your program. Get the job. You guys just had exams. I was praying for you through it. Okay? I was praying for you through it, and I realized how far I had been removed from that. So that was a realization. But I'm praying for you through that. You know, study hard, guys, because that's the most important thing in your life. Because if you do that, then you have victory in life and you'll be able to get the job you want. Then you'll be able to get the money. Then you'll be able to get the social status. Then you'll be able to... See how it's all connected? Is that what the overcoming life is? And I got to tell you, even though each of these things you see on that screen, those are good things. Getting a job is a good thing. GPA, good thing. Having God's finances to steward is a good thing. But not when it becomes the ultimate thing. See, the problem is, instead of living in the freedom of true victory, the truth is, people are living in the bondage of slavery to this world. Look, look at that. As much as that is a picture of what this world says is victory, that's a picture of slavery. People are living enslaved and bondage to this world, and they don't even know it. Smiles on faces. Hey, that pool looks really good. House looks really good. Why is this? 
Because the very things this world says will deliver them are the very things that are enslaving them. The very things that this world says will deliver you are the very things that are enslaving you. Why? Because true victory, true victory over this world can only be found in one place, and that is Jesus Christ. True victory can only be found in one place. Where is it, church? Where is it? Jesus Christ. A little louder. He deserves more than that. True victory in this world can only be found in one place, and it is? Yeah, amen, amen. Love you, church, so much. All right? And here John gives us three keys to victory that we, hey, loved ones, we must embrace. We must, not non-negotiable. We must embrace in our lives if we are to truly overcome the world and the trials, deceptions, temptations, and opposition that we will face from it and ultimately live a life of victory and freedom over it. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, overcoming the world. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to live in victory over the world, to live in victory over the world, key number one is this. Key to victory number one, you must have a saving faith in Christ. You must have a saving faith in Christ. Look at the start of verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. I love how John starts this. He begins by stating that the starting place, and loved ones, the only place where having victory in this life begins is this, believing that Jesus is the Christ. That's where everything begins. You want to live in victory? You want to overcome the world? That's the starting place. You can't, take, you can't take that out and expect to build on that. It's not going to happen. Now, the word Christ there, the Greek means Messiah or Savior of the world. So let's reinsert. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the only Savior of the world has been born of God. See, what John's talking about here is he's not talking of some vague intellectual commitment where someone simply says, yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I heard about Jesus. Yeah, I believe Jesus might have existed. I know about him. He's not talking about some vague intellectual commitment where someone uh, simply knows about Christ or follows or obeys him when they feel like it. Or maybe you have some of the, we had our Christmas Eve services and there are people, uh, I'm a C&E Christian, Christmas and Easter. Nah. Careful. The word believes there, everyone who believes, the Greek is this, has faith in or trusts in with a whole heart. That means one who has a personal day-to-day -day relationship with him that is increasing and growing. In intimacy. That's the word believes. It's not some head knowledge. 
It's a heart commitment. It is a wholehearted commitment to him through a personal relationship that, here's the key, that perseveres throughout one's life and displays a permanent or enduring dedication to Christ. A permanent or enduring dedication to Christ. This is where everything starts. This this will sum it up. You'll see it on the screen. True saving faith is persevering faith. It can never give up. If you have been truly saved in Jesus Christ, God will see to it that your faith perseveres to the end. There is no, I once was a Christian, but now I'm not. Mm -mm, Doesn't happen. True saving faith is persevering faith. It can never give up. Why? Why can't it ever give up? Why? Here's why. Because it is given and powered by God himself and is not generated by you or me. It is given and powered by an eternal God, an all-powerful, all-authority, king of kings, and it's not, gener- it's not something we can generate on our own. I'm going to believe today, and I'm going to believe today. It's not going to happen. It has to be generated from the Lord. Now, I love this. See there in verse 1a, get some terminology here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, let's just take that picture down for a moment, Alexis. Thanks. He says, what does this mean? It's given a new nature. The term born of God there means given a new nature. And what's this nature? The very nature of God himself. <laughs> That's awesome. The very nature of God himself. You are literally made. When you are born of God, this is what this means. You are literally made a new person from the inside out, from God's power within you. Do we try to grasp, get our heads around that? You are, you and I, by being born again, in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, are literally transformed. The moment we believe that, we are literally transformed from the inside out into being a new person through God's power within us. We are able to live by faith in him and be able to withstand no matter what trials, temptations, deceptions, or suffering may come against us. Now think about that. Okay, we're going to unpack that in a little bit. You can't just skip over that. But do you realize this? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, uh, the Lord has placed eternity in the hearts of man. Do you know what that means? Our hearts are longing to be made new. They're longing for the eternal God. Every human heart. Yours, mine, every single person you're going to see today, eternity has been placed, a longing for it to be made new and redeemed by Christ. How do we know this? Well, let's just look around today. Okay, Alexis, fire away. It didn't take very long to find stuff like this. So this is the uh, July New You Challenge. Win the body of your dreams. Now, I want to just take a few moments to look at the messages. Look at the subtle messages. You don't think a heart's longing to be made new? Look at this. Only you can bring out the new you in you. Coming soon. If you got to get fit, you got to want it. Really? <laughs> Training with Juan will get you there. I don't know about that. Sorry, Juan. It's a big promise. See that? The July new you. Why do you need a new you if you're not longing for it? Where do you think that comes from? That's a longing for eternity that has been distorted, that has been deceived into thinking that you shed a few pounds, you've got a new you. You don't have a new you. 
In fact, I took this a bit further. So we just started the new year, right? So I looked yesterday in the library. I was like, okay, so what are the top New Year's resolutions for 2018? You know what the number one one was? Go figure. Longing for eternity. Here it is. To be a better person. To do new things. To be changed in new ways. To live in new ways. Why is the obsession with newness? Because it's what our hearts are longing for, loved ones. The desire for it, our sinful flesh is lured and deceived into the world by trying to fill this desire with things that can never do it. And you know what happens? It only ends up being further enslaved. Our heart only ends up being further enslaved to these things. The things that are supposed to give us freedom. Further enslaved. Because that longing can only be filled in one place from an eternal source, Jesus Christ, the power of Christ. And so we'll go to one, but it won't satisfy. Because only one, and when we are saved through Jesus Christ and he makes us a new person, he's not talking about loved ones. He's not talking about just giving you a facelift, shedding a few pounds or, or kind of just doing an external cleanup or patch up job on you and me. That's what this world promises will make you a better you. Christ is not talking about the externals. When you are born again, he goes way beyond that. Jesus completely transforms you into a new person and releases you from being enslaved to this. He releases you from it, loved ones. This is your first step to overcoming this. You've got to step out of it. You've got to have these, this slavery, this bondage broken. And that's what Jesus Christ does. That longing for eternity finally gets filled. You get a taste of the living God. And you're like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you'll see it on the screen. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, born again in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Awesome. Amen? Amen? Awesome. The old has gone that old sinful pattern that was going to wreck you or had you enslaved. The old person is dead that was a slave to that. The new person is alive in Jesus Christ. The fear, the anxiety, the discouragement, the deception, the worry, the doubt that was crippling you before. The moment you become a new creation, God transforms you from the inside out by the power of his Holy Spirit and he makes you a new person. And all of a sudden, you're not a slave to that. You can choose to go back to that if you really want. But you are not under its control anymore. Amen? Awesome. Awesome truth. This is the first step to overcoming. The first step. So what does this new nature look like then? All right? Let's unpack this a little bit. First off, what does this new nature look like when we become made new by God? Number one, he gives us a new power. He gives us a new power. To fight sin. He gives us a new power to be sanctified into his image. He gives us a new power to obey him because it is impossible to obey the Lord Jesus Christ without his power in us. We can't do it. And there are millions of people all over this world trying to earn merit with God, trying to earn their salvation with God by doing good deeds and thinking, if I'm just good, at you can't do it, loved ones. You need to be a new creation and be born again through Jesus Christ. I love Ephesians 3.16. Paul says this, that according to the riches of his glory, way beyond this world, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
So that when that sin tempts and rears its ugly head at you again, you now have the power of eternity to be able to withstand that and see the way of escape that the Lord has given you. New power. New power. What does new power lead to? I love how this worked out. New power leads to a new heart. New heart and new spirit. New heart and spirit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, and I will, this is the Lord speaking, I will, there's a promise, give them one heart. Who's them? Everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. I will give them one heart and a new spirit and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone that is the one that's been hardened to the Lord, that one that is enslaved to this world. I remove that hardened heart of stone. What does he do? What does he do? And gives them a heart of flesh, new, tender, desirous to do what God desires. I'll remove it. I give you a new heart. So you get new power. You get a new heart and spirit. What does a new heart lead to? New desires. The heart is the desire center of our being. Just look at Proverbs 4.23. Okay, And so he gives us new desires that come from a new heart that increasingly desire what God wants in righteousness and holiness and not what this world says we must desire or have. How do we know this? Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. New nature. Here we go. Put off your old self. That's the before Christ person. Before you became a new creation, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the what? New self. New creation. Put on the new self. Created. Whose image are you putting on? Whose nature are you taking on? The likeness of God. Awesome. In true righteousness and holiness. New desires to live holy lives. Those things that the world calls us to pursue. You're like, I don't need to pursue that. My desire is to see God glorified in my body. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to give in to the fear. I don't need to give in to the discontentment. I don't need to give in to the anxiety. That's before Christ person. You don't need to. The power of God is in you and will strengthen you. All right, new power leads to a new heart, leads to new desires. What do new desires lead to? New mind. Love this. New mind. New nature, new mind. Thinking about what honors the Lord in our situations, his priority and not the world's. Thinking about what honors the Lord in your dating. Thinking about what honors the Lord in your marriage. Thinking about what honors the Lord in your classroom and in your service here in the church and everything else. Thinking what honors the Lord in our situations. 1 Corinthians 2.16, so clear, but we have the mind of Christ, Paul says. God gives you his mind, the mind of Jesus Christ, to think, to have wisdom, to seek him, to see things from a righteous perspective because you've come into the light. Love it. New power, new heart, new desires, new mind. Here it is. What happens after a new mind? What does a new mind lead to? New image. You start, your thinking's changing. Your image will change. The image of God is growing in us and not the image the world wants and says we have to keep up if we're going to be accepted, have the latest clothes, be a certain weight, have a certain waistline, wear certain makeup, do certain things. Really? You want to try that image? That image is always changing. You know, you ever heard of a pogo ball? Hey, if you wanted to have a good image when I was growing up, you needed a pogo ball. Where's that now? 
Did I just date myself? Yeah, yeah, pogo ball. You know what it was, right, babe? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> here we go. Here we go, though, right? All right, so new image. I don't have to keep up with the pressures of this world. I don't need the new car. I don't need the great house. I don't need the clothes. I don't need the fancy shoes. The new image, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Love this. Here's your new image. Here's your new image. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here it is. Compassion. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness and patience. Try that. You think those things come naturally? Mm -mm. Let's try humility and I'm already sunk. Put on the new self. There's nothing in there about the clothes you wear. There's nothing in there about the status you have. The new image. Humility, meekness, patience. All these things the world is calling out for. All right. New power, new heart, new desires leads to new mind, leads to new image. What does this new image lead to? New freedom. New freedom. No longer slaves to the sin that controlled us and that this world is so saturated with. I love Romans 6.6. 6. It was our Easter text this year. It said this, we know that our old self was crucified with him. That means uh, crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's not enslaving you anymore, loved one. You don't have to go back there. You can choose. You don't have to. It doesn't have a hold of you anymore. It has been released. You have been made new. You are literally a new person in Jesus Christ. A new creation. Lastly, what does this new freedom lead to? New fruitfulness. New fruitfulness. Living lives that honor and glorify Jesus Christ and bear fruit for his name. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in us is what? How do we know the Spirit's at work? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Awesome. Awesome. And that's just a snapshot of the new nature. I ran out of room. That's a snapshot. Supernatural. Now, honestly, let's just stop for a second. Look at that. Remember Juan's promise back then? Hey, can you go back, Alexis, to that picture of Juan, please? Do you honestly think that only you can bring out the new? Do you honestly believe that? That if you just try, somehow try harder, you're going to have a new heart. You're going to have a new mind. You're going to be walking in freedom from the slavery. Do you honestly believe that's in your power? Only you apparently can bring out the new. That's a deception. That's a lie. Only one can bring out the new. Jesus Christ. I love how Danny Aiken says this. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. Little facelift. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us new people. It is by the new birth that he accomplishes this glorious work. Therefore, you must be born again. Someone in this room right now, that's a word for you. You must be born again.
There is no other way this can happen and no other way to live a life of victory. So my question is this. Have you been born again? You say, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, have you repented of your sin, that you have sinned against a holy God and confessed Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, believing that he came to earth as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than his name. Do you believe that? Have you made that decision? And are you born again? This is the only way to saving faith. And here it is. If you have, and you're a follower of Christ here this morning, if you have, are you living out your new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you now? Are you living that out by the power of the Spirit? The new mind? Are your desires more about what God wants instead of what the world desires us for? Are we having a soft and tender heart to the Lord? Or are we hardening ourselves in certain areas that we don't want to give over to him? Is our image we're pursuing Christ's likeness or the image of the next billboard? Are we bearing fruit in keeping with his name? And what areas, loved ones? Just think about that. Just look at that list. What areas need to be brought before the Lord right now and say, I haven't been doing this. I need to give it to you. Grow me in this. Empower me by your spirit. See, this is where the victorious life begins. It all begins. To live in victory over the world, you must have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And from that, you live in victory over the world. Here it is. Saving faith leads to ongoing obedience to Jesus Christ. You must live in ongoing obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's look at the back half of verse 1 to verse 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Love it. John now gives us the evidences of one who has been born again. If you are truly born again, there is an increasing and ongoing love for God the Father and for other followers of Jesus Christ in his church around the world. He says, whoever has been born of him, This is the evidence. Now, the Greek word there for love, we should be pretty familiar with this. John has used it over a dozen times already in this letter. The Greek word love there means agapeo, which means to take pleasure in or long for or do what God prefers in loving another person. You don't put yourself first. Now, see, this is a supernatural love that cannot be given by the world, but only from God himself, by his power at work through us, through our new nature that is like his. This is the evidence of a true believer. And you, could, you see that little slogan? You hear all that slogan all the time? Like father, like son? Like father, like son. You're going to take on the image of your father. You're going to take on the characteristics of your father. Every genuine believer will. I love this. If I could sum that whole section of verses up, it would be this. You'll see it on the screen. A deepening love for God will always lead to a deepening love for others. You can't separate the two. A deepening love for God will always lead to a deepening love for others. This is why people, if someone says, I I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. 
is impossible. Because a deepening love for God will always lead to a deepening love for others. And John states where this deepening love for other believers comes from in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Where does it come from? When we love God and obey his commandments. Now the word commandments there has a bad connotation. Right? You think commandments, you think there's God. <clears throat> right? right? Let's look at what commandments means. The Greek means this. A charge or order God gives us through his word. So his commandments through his word, this is a charge of God. Live this way. Do this for our good. Now, here's the thing. Verse 3 goes on to say that our obedience to God is the proof of our love for God. As we keep. You know what the word keep there means? To watch or guard over. To watch or guard over, practice his commands through ongoing obedience to him by the power of the Spirit. Our love for God is shown in our obedience to God, loved ones. Our love for God is shown in our obedience to God by the power of the Spirit. Hey, this hit this week. What you believe is shown by how you behave. What you believe is shown by how you behave. Your priorities, things that aren't a priority. But then John goes on to say something staggering, which completely flips on its head what so many people's ideas of what obedience to God commands looks like. Notice this. Notice what he says at back in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, love for God shown by our obedience to him, and look at this. And his commandments are not burdensome. Not burdensome. The burdensome word there means oppressive, heavy, or grievous. Something that, that makes a person unable to function or enjoy free movement. Oppressive. God's commandments. Are God's commandments. Look around society today. Look around society today. Does this sound familiar? I'm not following Christ. The Bible's too restrictive. It's a bunch of legalistic rules and regulations. Why would I bother following? It's oppressive to how I want to live. Why would I follow it if it's limiting my freedom? It's drudgery. Wake up. Wake up, preacher. Hey, wake up, Christian. This is the 21st century. I live in the real world. Why would I take commandments from an ancient old text? Why would I do that? Too restrictive. Too oppressive. It's the death of my joy. Keeps me from doing all the things I want to do. I hear these all the time. All the time. And we have to recognize this. Have to recognize this. This is the lie that the devil works so hard for you and I to believe. This is a lie from the pit of hell. That the devil works so hard for you and I to believe. Why? Because the truth of God's commands is the exact opposite. Let's look. Look, John Bloom, I love how he says this. He says this. The commands of God are only liberating. You know what that means? Freedom giving. Awesome. They are only liberating, especially in their limitations. What the devil knows, and what we often fail to see at first, is that trespassing beyond God's merciful limits, going beyond what God commands, is not the freedom of self-determination. It's selling ourselves into bondage. Whenever we obey a command of God in faith, 
He sets us free or keeps us free from the blinding, oppressive, destructive slavery of sin and increases our capacity for joy. The commands of God are not burdensome. They are the narrow gate to life and true freedom. This is what living a life of victory means, loved ones. They are not oppressive. They are freedom-giving, even in their limitations. So let me ask you a question. How are you viewing God's commandments today? Christian, non-Christian, how are you viewing them? Maybe you're here and your view of God's commandments, you view them as a burden. Maybe they are oppressive to you. Maybe they are grievous to you, freedom-killing to you. Maybe you view them as oppressive in your marriage or in your relationships, your entertainment choices, in your parenting, your struggles with sin, and your fear, your worry, your anxiety. Maybe they're just, just oppressive. Let me do what I want and I'll get through it. In love, I say this to you. If that is truly how you feel about God's commandments, that's because you have not truly experienced them. We just, and you say, why, why is that? Well, you just need to look at the greatest commandment that all the other commandments depend on. That all of them depend on. Look at this, Matthew 22, 37 and 39. And he, this is Jesus Christ, said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. All other of God's commands depend on those. Love. And notice something as you see that? What stands out for you? Do you notice something? It is absolutely stunning that God's greatest commandment of us does not command our performance, but our perfection. I'm sorry, affection. Amen? <laughs> wow. Praise the Lord. It does not command our performance. It commands our affection to him. You don't have to do these 20 things and then I'll love you. Do this. He goes, I love you. My call is for you to love me. I'm calling you the greatest commandment in all of scripture that everything else flows out from. Love me. Love me. This isn't legalism. This isn't even close to legalism. We're not adding man-made stuff to God's commands. God's commands are clear. It's not legalism. It's love. It is love. And why, why would? Okay, so think about this. God in all his wisdom, he's totally omniscient, right? Right? He, he knows everything about everything. Why would he make this his greatest commandment? Why? 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 He could have had a lot of commandments. Well, let's look. I love how John Bloom expands on this. He says this. In commanding us to love him the most, God is bidding us to enter the door of heaven. He is commanding our greatest joy. He is commanding that we receive and treasure the most valuable treasure, that we experience the deepest satisfaction 
in the most satisfying person that we most enjoy the most enjoyable, that we trust the most trustworthy. Satisfaction, trust, joy. This is why Christians are, true Christians are increasingly eager to keep God's commands because they are increasingly tasting his joy, his grace, his peace, his presence, his satisfaction, his power, his comfort, and their desire for the world. You know what's happening as your love for God increases? What happens to your love for the world? Decreases. Because you get a taste of the eternal. You get a taste of the all-satisfying. You want to overcome sin? Superior pleasure in God. Bam! Every time. Every time. You want to overcome that sin in your life? Superior pleasure in God. That's what does it every time. You taste and see that the Lord is good. And the truth is this. A growing love for God. You know what happens? To our motivation to obedience to, to God? It's not like out of duty. Like, okay, I better obey God or I'm going to get whacked over the head. No! You know what becomes our motivation for obeying him and obedience? Love. Our love for him. I want to obey him. I love him. It's not drudgery, loved ones. It's desire. And as desire for God grows, the desire for the world decreases. And we are free to love God and others with an eager obedience. We're free to love. The more we love him... And this is why, hey, break this down. This is why the greatest thing that people need from you in your life, spouses, classmates, coworkers, neighbors, you know what the greatest thing they need from you in your life is? Your growing love for God and your personal holiness in him. That's the greatest thing they need from you. Not presence, not money, not a place to live. God can take care of that and he will. He's promised that. Just look at Philippians 4.19. However, the greatest thing they need in you is a growing love for God. You want to grow in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church? Grow in your love for God. Same thing. And you see, the world has this so backwards. Its focus is to love yourself. And all that can lead to... Notice the Bible never calls us to love ourselves more. Ever. Not once. The world has this so backwards because all that leads to in the sinful system that this world is under is hurt, brokenness, anger, unforgiveness in your life and theirs. That's the result of loving yourself more. And so God commands us to love because that is the taste of freedom. That is the taste of true joy. It is not in loving yourself. And we got to fight against this by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will. So question, you might say, well, how do I grow in my love for God? How do I grow? I'm going to give you I'm going to give you uh, five quick things. Ready? Number one, through Christ. Shouldn't be surprising by this point. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it has to start. You can't love like this if you don't have the source of love inside of you. Through Jesus Christ. Number two, through his word. John 15.5. I won't go into these verses, but you're just John 15.5. Through his word. You know, I love how John MacArthur says, there's a lot of books that can change your thinking, but there's only one book that can change your nature. That is the living and active word of God. You grow in your love for God as it is living and active inside of you and your heart's desires become his. Number two, or number three, sorry. How do we grow in our love for God? Through Christ, through the word. Here it is, through prayer. Okay, I'm gonna give you an insight on perhaps the 
uh, single greatest prayer you could ever pray. If you genuinely mean it, and here it is. Lord, help me to love you more. Does that ever hit your list that you bring before the Lord? If so, when's the last time? That's the greatest commandment. Lord, help me to love you more. Lord, help me to desire you more. Help me to hunger for you more. Lord, help me to want to want you more. That should be the top of the list, loved ones. And you know what God does when a heart comes before him and says, yes, Lord, help me to love you. He goes, yes, here I am. Taste and see. Taste and see, loved one. Okay, number four, through worship, continuing to come and meet together with God's people, corporately and then individually as well. And then here it is, as we saw in verse two to three, through ongoing obedience. It's this cycle. The more we fall in love with the Lord, the more we want to obey. The more we obey, the more we fall in love. That's how it goes. All right. Again, we're not talking about perfection, loved ones, but about perseverance. These are the marks of a life of victory over the world. To live in victory over the world, we must have saving faith in Christ. Live in ongoing obedience to Christ. And lastly is this, key number three. You must remember the victory you have through Christ already. You must remember the victory you have through Christ. Look at verses four to five. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Here it is, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? John finishes by giving the greatest assurance that any person could ever have. If they are in Jesus Christ, if they are born of God, they have overcome the world. What does that term overcome mean? You want to write this one down. What overcome means? To conquer or to have continual victory over. To conquer it. Continual victory. And the world, what is the world? The world's deceptive system that we saw at the very start of this message of goods, riches, advantages, and pleasures that it promises that it promised is to fulfill you and change you, but it will leave you empty and give us incentive to sin. And what is the victory that enables us to overcome the world? Here it is, our faith, loved ones. Our faith, our trust, our confidence in Jesus Christ, that he's the only savior of this world, and that in him alone, through his great promises to us, he's given us all we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that, loved one? Do you believe that? He's given us all we need for life and godliness. You have it if you are in Jesus Christ through his promises as we continue to stand on them in faith. And know this, know this, wherever you're at today, eyes up here, Jesus Christ will never fail to uphold or strengthen or comfort or encourage you in whatever you are facing. Whatever trial, whatever temptation causing you to despair, whatever this world says you have to, Jesus is like, you come to me, I'll show you. That's not gonna take, that's not gonna do it for you. I am the one who satisfies. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I am your satisfaction. Overcome the sin, overcome the fear and the anxiety and the worry. Why, how do we do that? Superior pleasure in God. Superior love for God. I love him more than what I'm seeing here. And I wanna follow him. And Jesus says, yes. True faith endures every trial and emerges victorious over them all. John MacArthur, love it. And faith is this. How do we practically apply this on the way home? Here it is. 
Faith is literally choosing moment by moment, moment by moment to believe that what God says is the true, right, and the best way in every situation we face. That is faith. That is walking by faith and not by sight. I'm choosing in this moment, even though I can't see it, even though I think it's going somewhere else, I'm choosing in this moment to believe that what God says is true and it's the right and the best way. I'm going to walk by faith and stand on it. And remember this promise he's given us, and we close into communion with this. John 16, 33, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in, notice this, in me, not in this world, not in anything else, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, loved one, take heart today. I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. So last question is this. Are you overcoming the world or is it overcoming you? In your temptations you face, in the fear of man or failure that continues to ravage you, in your anger issue with your drunkenness, in your anxiety, in your doubt, in your pursuit of pleasures of this world, are you overcoming the world or is it overcoming you? Where is God calling you to remember the victory that you have in him and to walk in it today? Taste and see, loved one, that the Lord is good. If we are to overcome, live in victory over the world, we must have a saving faith in Christ, an ongoing obedience to Christ, and remember the victory we have through him. And hey, there is no better way to remember the victory that we have in Jesus Christ than celebrating the Lord's Supper. Amen? Amen.